Glad you're here. Uh, my name is Jose. We are in Romans 4, and I'm thrilled that you're here, and I know God has something for us. On the, on the um, coffee part, you actually don't need to know how to do anything. They're all automated, very high-tech machines. You press the button. It all comes down. You move it over. So some of you are like, I can't do that. Actually, yes, you can. All right. Cool. You doing all right? Yeah. Awkward. I'm having an awkward moment with you. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you're alive and that because you live, we can experience life as well. And so now we're going to open our eyes to see what you said and what you've done so that we can step into what you are saying and what you want us to be doing. Lord, this is your world, your air, your chairs, your food, your clothes, your cars, your homes. It's all yours. And thank you for the portions that you've given us. Help us to use them well uh, today. Amen. I'm going to say a word, and you're going to give me the answer. Uh, faith. Should help me. I say faith. What does that mean? Give me some other words. Trust. Someone else? Believe. Uh, belief. Hope. Awesome. Anything else? I'm sorry? Chance? Chance? Okay, yeah. There's lots of, especially in our culture, when, when we say faith, there's lots of immediate words that come to mind. And the challenge with that, and the challenge with words in general, is that it's not so much that, that words have meaning, it's that meaning has words. There is a difference there. So when I say the word faith, I may be meaning something different than, than you mean. And in the world that we live in and when it comes to Jesus and God and the Bible, we hear the word faith all the time. But we're not, we may not be on the same page. So the reason we're going to think about the word faith is because it comes up again and again and again in Romans. But we want to look as we drill down, not be simplistic, but drill down as to what is faith in God? What does that look like in the scriptures? In our culture, faith is belief. Faith is chance. Faith is trust. Faith is all sorts of things to all sorts of people. But when we're looking at the scriptures, what, is, what do the scriptures say about faith? And it's going to come up in Romans uh, 4 today. Uh, last week we saw that Paul gave in end of verses three, uh, chapter 3 to Romans 4 verses 1 to 8. He gives a description of two people. I don't know if you remember. It was Abraham, who's the father of faith, and David, who's the greatest king of a group of people who are the people of faith. And so what Paul's trying to do is wrap up the sections. Part, the, part two in our study in Romans is the heart of the gospel. What is it really? What's, what's it all about? We saw that the message is the good news, and now what does the good news entail? So at the end of three in all of chapter four, Paul uses an example in the lives of people to show us, because faith can sound nebulous, but we see it lived out in real people. All right, so let me give you a definition, and then we're going to look at Romans four, starting in verse nine. Faith, at least to Romans four, again, I don't want to be simplistic. It means different nuances in different places, but in Romans four, faith is considering something to be true and worthy of trust. So write that down. And here, it, and here it doesn't mean 
chance, or it doesn't mean action necessarily. It means something is true and worthy of trust. Now, if that sounds fuzzy, hang out for a while and hopefully it will get clear. All right? So let's just read verse 9. He's talking about Abraham. He's talking about David and their faith. Is this blessedness, the ones whose sins are forgiven, whose mistakes are covered, the ones who've been brought in close by God, is this blessedness only for those who are circumcised? Abraham and David had a sign that they were marked out by God. They were circumcised. They were Jewish. So is this blessing only for the Jews or the circumcised, or is it also for the uncircumcised or those who don't have the Jewish faith? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. He's already said it. He's repeating himself, Genesis 15. Under what circumstances was it credited? Okay, how did Abraham, if he's the father, how did he get faith? How did he get right with God? How did he go from a stranger to walking out God's kind of life? Under what circumstance? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the rightness or the righteousness that, has, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. I know, I know this is all like mysterious language. It will, it will get clearer. So then, and here's what his point is. He is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And then he's also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who have also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Again, if this is like, I don't get it, join the club. All right. What he's doing is he's making a contrast. Everyone that he's writing to looked to Abraham as this model. He didn't have a life with God. He walks in life with God. And the result of that is his family's changed and generations are changed. And something happens in the world because of Abraham. And so he's writing to a mixed church, just like we're not all on the same page. Some of you, you learned the books of the Bible when you were a kid. I learned, you know, I, was, I, learned, I got like candy bars if I memorized the books of the Bible in a row. Which now that I look back, this should have given me something healthier, but I didn't care. You know, like, if you know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, okay, others of you, this is like you've been to church 10 times. This is number 11. Okay, so we're not coming from the same, some of you come from, right now you say, oh, well, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but I'm interested, but right now I would call myself, whatever, spiritual, or Jewish, or Muslim, or Jehovah's Witness, or uh, Mormon, or whatever you call yourself. He's writing to a group of people that weren't on the same page. So he's trying to bring them on the same page by telling God's story in light of Jesus. So what, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Actually, that, I can care less about that. Which comes first, faith or obedience? Because this is going to map it out in his argument in chapter 4. Which comes first? If you look at the life of Abraham, did he believe? Did he obey? What made him right with God? He did both. He does believe and he does obey. Which comes first? You see, the order actually matters. Paul is reading Genesis. He's reading the Bible in light 
of Jesus. Remember, when he's writing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and the other parts of the New Testament hadn't all been written and circulated. But he's got God's story, and he's able to write to us about what God has done because he looks at the life of Abraham. So Genesis 15 tells us Abraham hears from God and believes him. He counts him as trustworthy. God, what God says is true, and what God says is worth trusting. That is the heartbeat of Abraham's faith. So how does Abraham experience life in God? What does he do? He listens to God. He sees that God is worth listening to, and he, and he, and he walks in God's ways. Whatever God says, I trust that. Even when, and we're going to see in Abraham's life, his life situation, it was a huge risk to trust God. Because where he was living, what was going on in his world, was counterintuitive with what God was saying would happen. So Genesis 15, he, he trusts. Now, then Paul keeps reading to Genesis 17. I'll throw it on the screen. When you look at the life of Abraham, he trusts God and it's credited. You're in the right. You're right with God. But then, keep reading. Uh, Genesis 17, verse 9 says, God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you for generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. This agreement. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you is to be circumcised. Now we looked at this some weeks ago. Uh, just like my wedding ring is a sign of what's happened, this is unbroken, right? And it's on me. My life doesn't belong to me. It's a sign that my life has been given to my wife. And we are now one and we're united. And I'm not to, the sign is a warning to everyone else I'm married, right? And it's a sign to me of who I belong to. So circumcision was a sign saying God is including you in his family, but it was a warning. You cut the end of skin to show that if you choose to walk away from God and God loves you, caring for you, but if you choose to ignore God, you will be cut off. The blessing of what God wants to do is there. It's yours. But if you choose to walk away, you're going to be cut off, right? So that was the sign. Verse 11, you're to undergo circumcision. It will be the sign. It's going to be the reminder of the agreement between me and you. So Abraham obeys God and he's circumcised and his kids and everyone after him, Genesis 17. 15, faith, 17, you're to do what God says. Now, what's the time gap? How Was it 10 minutes? Was it a week? Was it a month? Between God speaking to Abraham and he believes and then saying, okay, now I want you to do something. Here's my agreement. Here's what you do. What's the time gap? Some of the rabbis said 29 years. So you're like, okay, what, what's the big deal? Paul is making a point to a group of people who are slightly confused about how life in Jesus works. So he goes to, to the person everyone would look to as an example of a godly life. Okay, how do you look at Abraham in light of Jesus? Abraham's made right with God 29 years before God says, be circumcised. Belief and obedience. Here's my point and the point that Paul's trying to make. Trust comes first. Obedience follows. If you want to be a person of faith, 
Does it involve obedience? Absolutely yes. Do you do whatever you want and say, Jesus loves me, who cares? I Hopefully not. But you need to know this, and this is very confusing, even amongst churches and people who say, I follow Jesus. Which comes first, to live a vibrant life with God? Is it I obey him and I'm accepted, or is it trust? And he says Abraham clearly trusted 29 years before God calls him to the sign. Trust comes first and timing matters. So let's just jump down to verse 11 because, or, or just reread verse 11 because he explains it this way. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised. The reason you and I, if you're not Jewish in background, the reason you're included and Abraham is your father is because look at his example. In hearing God and considering him trustworthy and putting his trust in him, Abraham's accepted. So you, if you come from another faith, you don't have to become a Jew in order to follow Jesus, which for us is not a cultural problem. But it was a massive question in the early Christian community. Was Jesus Jewish? It wasn't a trick question. Yes. Okay, so was Jesus circumcised? Yes. So to Jesus say, follow me? Yes. So there were some who just read their Bible and said, okay, if Jesus was Jewish and Jesus was circumcised and Jesus kept Torah and Jesus went to synagogue, in order to be one of his followers, you must follow that pattern. You must do these things. And so Paul is simply saying to the church, no, no, in order to read Abraham right, you need to think of Abraham's encounter with God. And it wasn't being circumcised that made him right with God. It was that he heard God, he counted him as trustworthy, and he put his faith in him. Now, again, if this is still a little unclear, don't worry. We're getting contrast, and we're going to pull it together at the end. Well, let's just jump down to verse 13. So he continues with Abraham. It says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. And here's why, verse 14. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, then faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath. And where there's no law, there is no transgression. Okay, we're stepping into ancient arguments. Here's this thing. Abraham, was he a man of faith? Yes. Okay, but he was circumcised. What made him right? Trust. Wasn't it, it wasn't the obedience. He believed God. Now, obedience follows trust. Okay, that's argument number one. But also, you remember, he's speaking to people who had this Jewish tradition. And they had been given the law of Moses. Did Jesus keep the law of Moses? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. So does keeping the law of Moses, does following the Bible, let's put it in our language, does following what the Bible says make you right with God? Now he's like, okay, let's think about Abraham. If Abraham needed to follow God's law, then his faith was useless. And here's why. What's the time gap between him getting the promise from God, you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to choose, choose you and use you, to the law that was given to Moses. That should be the hint. There was 29 years between, let's say, 29 years between trust 
and circumcision. There's 500 years between Abraham and the law of Moses. So what, what, here's the encouraging thing. As you read the scriptures, God's life, God's teaching, God's story can become clear to you. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Paul reads the Bible and then gives us what is now the Bible. The Spirit speaks through Paul to remind you that it's not like this Abraham and Moses, chapter 1, closed, I'm going to do a new thing, eraser board, start over with Jesus. No, Jesus actually fulfills what Abraham began. Now again, if it's fuzzy, don't worry. Which comes first, pr law or promise? Obviously we saw God's promise comes first and the law is given 500 years later. Now is the law a bad thing? Absolutely not. You want to know what God is like? Read the law. You want to know how beautiful God is? Read the law. You want to know that how, what it means for God to be holy and altogether not like us? Read the law. The law is supposed to point us, if you want to walk in the ways of God, there's actually a way to do it. Here's the problem, though. When you read it, you realize you jacked it up. So the law isn't bad. The law is actually the path to God. But if we had to rely on the law, he's saying to the church, if it's about keeping the law, then we're all in trouble. And by the way, Abraham's in trouble because he didn't have the law. And everyone in their day would agree, Abraham was a person of God, a person of faith. So how does Abraham become right with God? It's, it's through promise. God promised him, I'm going to come into your world. Give you what no one else can. And in doing that, you follow me and watch how I bless the world. When Abraham hears a promise from God, considers that trustworthy and acts on it. He puts his life in God's hands and goes God's way. That is what makes him right. Not circumcision outside. Not keeping a law that actually hadn't come yet. Now, timing matters. That, all I'm saying are both important. Is it important that you obey? Absolutely. Don't mishear me. Man, I got faith in Jesus. That's why I do whatever I want. Because Jose was just saying, it's about prom promise, trust, love, grace. We've got to look at all of Abraham. But trust begins and then obedience follows. Promise begins and then law, teaching, the way God follows but we got to get them in the right order. Why? Verse, uh, jump to verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so he became the, became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said of him, so shall your offspring be. Again, he's quoting Genesis 15. He looks back at Genesis and says, this is what God said. Without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God. And this phrase is important. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it is, quote, unquote, it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, quote, it was credited to him, weren't written for him alone, but they were written also for us 
to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And then he ends with the summary of the heart of the gospel. Remember, all this section is about what the gospel is. And he waits till the last verse of the section. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. And was raised to life for our justification. Jesus died to pay for my sin. Jesus rose again so that I can be put in the right. In other words, Jose can be filled with all sorts of junk, but God can put me in the right, not because I'm good, not because I make up for it, but because Jesus is good and Jesus paid for it. Does that make sense so far? Okay, so that is the heart of the gospel. Now, let's just think about three things that we see about faith in Abraham, and let's just apply it out. And our response to worship is going to be interactive to kind of live this out. First thing we see about Abraham and the nature of faith. Number one, faith is based on God and his promises. This may not seem like a big deal, but when you think about faith in the scriptures, it's more than a belief in something. Verse 19, look at it again, verse 19. Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he's 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. There's no way that Abraham is going to have a child. No way. Impossible. His, the fact of his situation is, by the way, to not have kids in his culture is the sign that the gods have cursed you. In his day, barrenness in a woman, childlessness in a family was a sign of you've done something. The sign of blessing kids. Today we have a different view. Kids can be an inconvenience to my career. But, but, but in, in the worldview of Abraham's day, kids are the blessing. Sign of God's blessing from God. And the more kids, the better. And the more your, your family line will be a blessing to the world. So Abraham and Sarah did not have kids. Something's wrong with them. And God says the impossible. You're old. A hundred, not so young. How many new parents do you see at 180-something? 100 and his wife's 80-something. Yikes, right? Try saving for a college education when you're that old. It's impossible. <laughs> but God does the impossible. The nature of faith, hear me, is not belief in something, but belief in someone. Faith for us, my friends, is not the belief in a power, the belief in a force, the belief in uh, a combination of activities, if I and then I and then, and it all aligns, maybe. Faith, when it comes to the Bible, especially Romans 4, is a trust in a very real life-giving God. Not just any power. Who has the power to give life? but the creator alone. And so for Abraham to believe is to say to all of his friends and family, I am about to be a dad. Because he trusts that God is trustworthy and is worth putting his allegiance and hope in. That's the nature of faith. So let me just ask you, let's, let's round this out. Who are you trusting? Let's just say God's roaming through this room. He's hanging out in Hillsborough on a Sunday afternoon, right? And, and God's here and he's just hanging out and he's interacting. 
And he's coming down to your section. Ouch. Internally, are you going to invite him to come and sit and hang? Now, I'm, I'm being tongue-in-cheek, but are you going to invite him? What gives you the right to say, God, why don't you come over here? I would love to hear from you. In other words, who are you trusting? Are you trusting yourself that, hey, man, I'm good enough to be right with God? Good luck. Are you trusting, well, you know, our family's quite religious and quite faithful. Who are you trusting? The nature of faith is attached to the person of God himself. So if you're trusting in your spouse, if you're trusting in your parents, if you're trusting in your background, if you're trusting in your pastor, good luck. None of the, if you're trusting in, 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 in things, if you're trusting in the fact that you go to church, if you're trusting in your effort, if you're trusting in your promise to do better, if you're trusting in, your, if you're trusting in anything that's going to put you in the right with God other than the fact that God is good and he gives promises and he's trustworthy, then you miss the nature of Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith is not in himself. It's in a God who makes promises and, and God's ability to do what no one else can do. So the creator speaks, God speaks, and Abraham says, I believe you. And he lives as if God's words were true. So biblical faith always starts with the promises of God. Biblical faith always starts not with your thought or with your hope. It starts with the promises of God. All right, second thing. My response to God's promises actually matter. Faith is not just the fact that God is who he is and does what he does. But faith requires that I respond to the promise. So what do we see about Abraham? Verse 20 of chapter 4. Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But he was strengthened in his faith and he gives glory to God, being fully persuaded God has the power to do what he promised. So Biblical faith starts with the promises of God. God speaks and we interact with that promise. Do we trust it? A great quote from um, Timothy Keller. Believing God, quote unquote, is not simply thinking about God, but trusting his word. Indeed, it's taking God at his word even when there's nothing else to go on. Abraham does not have a clinic, a fertility clinic. There is no medical way to get around an obstacle of childbearing. But Abraham, he doesn't go by feelings, popular opinion, and common sense when they seem to contradict God's promise. It's to look at what God has said and let that define reality for you, end quote. Biblical faith, believing God, it starts with the promises of God, but then it's, it's becoming convinced in light of everything else that everyone else and everything else is saying, I choose reality. Reality is what God has said. That is the heart of biblical faith. And it says Abraham did not waver. Now here's the problem. Have you read Genesis? If you've read Genesis, it sure does seem like Abraham at times, like at times wonders, and we know this because he promised that through Sarah, there's going to be a child and through his wife. But then a while goes by and nothing happens. And then Sarah says, maybe we misunderstood it. But here's my servant. You can have a child through her. And, and Abraham does have a child. So there does seem to be in Abraham's life the real world that you and I experience. There are times 
when I misunderstand God. Abraham doesn't have perfect faith. He doesn't always get it right. And there's some moments where he's afraid. Like he goes and, and the king thinks his wife is beautiful. And oh, who's this? My sister. Which she was from a different mom. But that's not what he was asking. <laughs> like, can I have her? She's my sister. And God seems to get him out of it. He does it multiple times. Abraham is not the perfect life, but he's the perfect example of faith in God. Hear me, for the long haul. So what, Abra what, what Paul does is he reads all of Genesis and he sees all of Abraham's life. And from the time God spoke to him in Genesis 15 to the time he dies, Abraham, on the whole, his experience is trusting. God's promise is true. And God is trustworthy. Worthy. So, so Abraham doesn't have perfect faith. So if you've had a doubt, that does not make you disqualified. <laughs> Good news. Have you ever had a season in your life like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. God, let me help you out. Or just the simple, Lord, would you speed things up? You know, speed things up because I'm just, I'm having a tough time. I, I, this is too slow. If you're like me, you're not disqualified. Abraham, in the pattern of his life, is trusting God and trusting God's faithfulness and his promise to him. And that's the good news. Okay, so let's, let's begin to think about what this means for us. If this is true, well, for one, the obvious. You don't have to become a Jew in order to experience the life of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Why? Abraham is the example. It was never by circumcision. It was never by law. Those outward things, they came in time. But it was trust in, in Jesus, in our language, that begins the relationship. But I want to think of a couple, and we're going to live them out. Number one, God has made real promises to you. Look at verse 23 again. God's made real promises to you. The words, it was credited to him, Genesis 15 were not written for Abraham alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. So this is interesting. Genesis is written, the first five books were written before Paul was born for a people who were before him. Genesis was written for Israel who had just come out of slavery in Egypt. God gave them his story for an ancient people. But when Paul reads the Bible, he doesn't see it as an ancient book about them. So he reads it and applies it to his own life. Abraham is credited as right with God through faith. So Paul says, I am credited as right to God through faith now in Jesus. For Abraham, because Jesus hadn't been born yet, it was faith in the creator God who is life-giving. But now the creator God who is life-giving has been revealed and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the author of life. Before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. Jesus is the creator. So now Abraham didn't even have the full view. We have the full view. We've seen Jesus and Jesus has made promises to you. Just like it was credited to Abraham, just like it was credited to Paul, it is credited to you. So this isn't just a textbook exercise and religious experience. This is an opportunity to step into God's story and experience it. God has made promises to you. 
The question is, like Abraham, will you hear God and realize if he's trustworthy and he keeps his promises and now walk in the way as if his promises were true when no one else believes it? That's the essence of faith. So God is trustworthy and he keeps his promises. And I want us to land there because right now, for some of you, God does not seem very reliable. You can't look at a couple who just lost a child without saying it's okay to wonder if God's very reliable right now. Because there are, there are times that we wonder. Or a relationship, marriage that was supposed to last, and it didn't. Friendship that was supposed to last, and it didn't. Job that was supposed to last, and it didn't. Resources that were supposed to last. And they have. There are times, health, they're all, you can look at your life. I look at my life and sometimes I say, like, God, I know you have been faithful, but I'm starting to wonder if you're losing your edge. <laughs> or maybe I've been forgotten. Or maybe I've done something that's disqualified me from your goodness until I realized the life of Abraham, and it had nothing to do with his faithfulness. God's promise came to him when Abraham hadn't done anything. And I see the nature of, a faith in the scriptures, which is very contrary to faith in other faiths. And faith in our spiritualist, eclectic worldview. For us, faith is tied to the person who made it all and gives all life. And his name is Jesus. And apart from Jesus, we're not going to have the life, the righteousness, the justification to being put in the right. The redemption to being ripped out of slavery and being brought into freedom all of those blessings came to Abraham by faith. And they come to us by faith as well. So your response matters. It actually really matters. And so what I want us to do is to not fall into the mode of three songs, four minutes of terror, long message. Some of you are like, I hate that. Talk to people. It's okay. Jesus loves you. And so three songs, four minutes, long message, three songs, Communion in there, out. Let's not do that. Let's ask ourselves, are we stepping into, have we stepped into the life of faith just like Abraham? So to, to those of you who are just suffering right now, I'm, I just want to encourage you, Abraham was suffering for years waiting for that promise to be revealed. But God proved himself faithful. So the word to you is, if Jesus seems unreliable, hang on to Jesus. If you stumble and you put your trust in some other things, then today reorient your trust back to Jesus because he has been, he is, he will be faithful to all of his kids. Even though we don't see it, even though Abraham had a long time before this child shows up, and then God says to him, sacrifice the child. Do you trust me? And Hebrews is going to remind us, Abraham believed that he could, he could obey God because if his child died, God promised through that child the world would be changed. God would just raise him up to life. He was confident that even though he didn't understand the twists and turns of God, that he would be okay. And if you feel like your faith is weak, you're not alone. If you haven't even started the journey of walking in relationship to Jesus, you can. So what we want to do is create the space to step in, right? Abraham believes God. He trusts God. Now, here's the good news. Out of Abraham came 
Isaac and Jacob and the people called Israel. So the, the faith in God thing wasn't just one person. They became the people of faith. So we can say, we are the people of faith. In other words, when I'm struggling, when I need help, when I'm hurting, when I'm doubting, I don't have to just trust Jesus alone. I can call on my brothers and sisters because I'm a part of a family. And we can trust Jesus together. I, uh, I was talking to a lady who was just here this morning and a couple of weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, there was a word about a healing in a left eye. Like God in his goodness brought to our attention that there was someone with a left eye that, or for you, left eye, <laughs> opposites, um, a left eye. And, and she said, you know, I, and she gave this disorder that she had. And, and she's like, but even though she's had it fixed, it's only about 85%. This is interesting. She was like, it's hard to do your makeup. Because she's like, I, like one eye, I couldn't really see well. And she's like, that's just, I hate to sound selfish. That, sound, that was frustrating for me. But just graciously loving God. And then she says, you gave this, this word about an eye. And you know what she said? This is so rad. She's like, I grabbed it. You know, do you, do you see what she's saying? She's like, I grabbed that. She's like, that's me. And then she's like, in a moment, I could blink and see better shit if it was throbbing. Like she would feel like a, a throbbing in it. The throbbing is gone. She's like, it's, <laughs> I love her honesty. She's like, it's like 98%. As if God's got like 2% left to go. <laughs> but she's like, she's like nine, she's like, it's, it, but she was like, that. Now, who healed her? God. But the funny thing is sometimes God uses the family to, to help us to see what he's like and what he's doing. So what we want to do is in our response, we're just going to open it up. We have a prayer team people here are men and women who love Jesus and humbly trust Him. And what they want to do is they just want to stand with you in your moment. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can. So maybe the right response is to when we open things up, we're going to have our, our prayer team is just going to be with these little lanyards with a tricky word, prayer. We're, we're Captain Obvious, okay? Prayer. And then there's going to be in the back, just find one of them and say, hey, my name is Jose and Today, I just want to affirm, I trust Jesus to save me from my sin. That could be your response. Or it could be like, man, I'm dealing with this issue. Or it could be as a couple. Or if your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend isn't here, like, I'm having some relational struggles. I need the grace of Jesus. We want to stand with you and trust God to be faithful to his promises. All right, so we normally do communion. Everyone gets it and eats it together. But today we're going to do it a little differently. We're going to invite you to stand in a moment and we're just going to open it up. There's three songs coming, okay? At any point that you just feel led, you just go out to the back and there'll be, or the sides, there'll be someone with a prayer lanyard and they, they just love to pray with you. You don't have to give details. I need prayer for the sickness. I need prayer for my son. I need prayer for my own soul. I need I need to learn to forget. Whatever. Simple, simple. Let them pray for you. God will do something. He will. He's faithful. 
Or you say, I'm okay. Then at some point, go to the tables, grab the bread and the cup, and just find someone. And then just give thanks together. So we're not going to all do it together. Just find a few people. Just give thanks, eat the bread, drink the cup. And in between it, just worship God, okay? So we're going to go a little loose. Let me encourage you, at some point move, because the people in the center, if you don't move, Okay, so eventually do step out. But remember, the table is for those who follow Jesus. So everyone's invited to go, but really the bread and the cup are the reminders of the body and the blood of Jesus for the, for, for the forgiveness of our sin. So if you're not yet a follower, you're welcome here, but actually that's not really, those are outward reminders of what has already happened within. So don't feel like you have to go to the table. Just stand in prayer or be prayed for this morning. But if you're already following Jesus, Table's open and the prayer team is, is ready to welcome you. Why don't you stand? And let's uh, thank God and let's just let's live it out. And let me just encourage you, if you choose to go for prayer, that is not a sign of weakness. In our culture, we have made it cool to be independently independent. But a, an honest, trusting person in Jesus is open to an other honest, trusting person in Jesus to agree with them. That's a good thing. This is not a sign of weakness or, or a lack of faith. It's actually a sign of trust that God can use that person to agree with you and see something happen. So don't let anything intimidate you. You just receive. Lord, we want to receive from you. We want to hear from you. We want to walk in you. We want to live your life. We want to be your people. We want to obey. We want to see you fulfill your promise in us. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. Lead us in our praying. Lead us in our singing. Lead us in our gathering around the bread and the cup to remember the good work of Jesus for us. And Lord, we worship you with prayer, with songs, and with action at the table. We remember you. Fill us.